Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season three of the 100 Masked Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all around the world to challenge gender roles and expectations in the modern world today. Masked Man number 54 is the new feminist. Now that we're past the halfway point, I thought I should bring back the conversation on what it means to be a modern male feminist today and bring back a similar conversation to the very first interview I had on the show. In this episode, we talk a lot about anger, how emotions manifest physically among men, and how the suppression of emotions is the root cause of a lot of toxic masculine behavior. I hope you enjoy the show. Growing up as an Indian American, um, like South Indian American, I, I grew up in a family where it's very much just like, okay, you get arranged marriage, the guy owns a household, he does all this stuff, um, the woman cooks and cleans, and, and basically the role in society for men is to be the provider, be the protector, be the savior, be the breadwinner. And luckily for me, I grew up in a family with like a super strong mother and a role model of a sister who kind of like didn't really shove that narrative down my throat. But in mm-hmm. general, the male role that still lingers in my parents' philosophy is that like, the man has to be stoic. The man has to be in charge of the finances. The man has to like make all the money in the house and be responsible. And I think the pressure that comes with that is that you need to have a high paying job. You need to start doing things that aren't creatively because creativity usually does not lead to a sustainable income for a family that you need to provide for. You need to start dating. You need to start finding women. And also just necessarily like viewing women as objects to conquer versus objects not objects at all, rather, just as people, I think was a different thing because in Indian culture specifically, like in an arranged marriage, it's changed a little bit throughout the years, but at least from what I've read in my experiences, it's more like, okay, there's an eligible male, which woman is the best match for this guy? It's never the other way around. It's never like the most eligible bachelor. It's always usually the most eligible bachelor. So going back to the societal role of men that I was raised to see is that you shouldn't be emotional. Like having emotions is like, for women, extreme emotions, rather like mood swings and whatnot. And I think what that leads to is suppressed anger, suppressed anxiety that ends up manifesting into domestic and emotional abuse in marriages and relationships in the future, at least in the case of my father, who is a very kind man, does not intend to hurt people, but through like learned behaviors, obviously he never confronted my mom with like financial issues and whatnot. So when stress came in the way or like when we moved to America and he was the only person on like a small salary supporting like two children and a wife, he didn't know how to channel his emotions appropriately. And what that led to was physical like abuse for both my mom and us as children. And that kind of like, that still lives with me today in the sense that like, I never want to be able to not control my emotions enough where I have to cause harm to other people. Yeah. Um, And I think that's another thing about like, ethnic kids or you know families back then and how that was normalized and I think I think now in in our generation when we raise kids we don't we don't want to punish our kids physically but before that was just what we we thought was normal and we thought that was the way to control our kids or you know we would be afraid to go home because we knew we were going to get beat up right like that was part of the thing and right and people just considered it normal so how did you learn that this is not okay? This isn't normal. Did you have, did you end up uh, seeing other households and you're like, Hey, this isn't how things happened in that household. And then 
how did you move towards changing that and realizing that that that, it, that uh, suppression of emotions was kind of the root of that cause? To be honest, I didn't realize that that was the root of the cause until I got older. Mm-hmm. I just knew, like instinctively though, that what was happening like wasn't right. Like I shouldn't have to like sprint to my room every time I can tell my dad it's about to get angry. I shouldn't have to like like that as. I just knew as a kid that it wasn't like that's not okay mm-hmm. especially because you see two sides of your father um and again like I would say this is learned behavior for sure because I know that my father's father was 10 times worse than he was like 10 times like he would even hit my mom when they were st- staying in their house so it's sad to recognize that like everyone when you grow up like parents are just trying to do the best that they can with what they know my dad was I think my age now when he had his first child so the older I get, the more I process like, whoa, wow, like this is the emotional state my parents were in when they were raising us, like no wonder. <laughs> and I, I think growing up in a neighborhood where I was with a lot of other um, South Asian like families and specifically like boys my age, like we would talk about our families and whatnot. And like, and I guess like hitting was definitely a normalized thing because we all knew that if we messed up, we were going to get hit by our parents. Yeah some worse than others but at least in my case like I don't care if I got hit I got more mad when my mom or sister would get beat honestly mainly because they couldn't defend themselves I knew they couldn't my dad's physically stronger than both of them like if they even tried it would just be worse so luckily for me my dad is like a five nine man I grew up to be six four and the second I started becoming bigger in like middle school I not gonna lie I there's one point where I had a breaking point I literally hugged my dad in the face because I'm like you cannot hit my mom anymore. I'm like, if you do, like, I will kill you. Like, if that came out of my mouth, it was just pure rage. It literally took over me the same way it consumed him. But I think that was the first time in his life that he realized that, oh, yeah, maybe what I'm doing is wrong. Like, this isn't normal. I shouldn't be doing this. And I saw a change in him from that day going forward. Well, I think that's interesting because you matched him, right, in physicality, if not overpowered him, right? Because right, until exactly. now, he was always, you know, technically the man in the house, right? Yeah. And I think like, yeah, because he, he physically couldn't do anything anymore because there's, there's like like someone in the house who can stop him physically. And I think that's a, another thing about, I guess, men, like they would always size each other up and be like, oh, can I take him? Like, why do you think that or where do you think that culture came from of just like sizing each other up physically, at least? Honestly, I think it just comes down to like, animalistic nature like we all we're all just smart monkeys (laughs) so like when when like our biochemistry and our brain takes over or like rage or ego takes over like it's very easy to go into that like monkey brain where you just want to start fighting people or like channel your emotion through physical aggression because what i think what it's doing basically is you're just asserting your dominance over somebody because you feel inferior to the situation or you feel the need to reprimand somebody and you know that your words can't do it. So physically reprimanding is the only way that you can do it. I think sizing each other up just comes from, honestly, insecurity. That's my experience with it at least. Like there's no reason to physically fight somebody in this day in the 21st century, unless like you're like a wrestler or something. Yeah, but I think it's also just like knowing your place, you know, like who's top dog and who's not. And Mm -hmm. when you get in the fight, you'll find out. Like you never really, I mean, I don't know if you guys truce or anything, but usually someone wins and someone loses. But I think what's interesting is that's also used as a bonding method. You know, after the fight, it's like everyone's friends again. 
but how does it get to that point though like i don't think anybody just comes up to you and is like hey let's fight it's usually <laughs> it's usually a result of some like verbal confrontation or like i guess action that leads to this i mean an example that i can think of is like oh you you, you slept with my girlfriend i'm gonna beat you up now or that's a really bad example to think of but it's like <laughs> it's like it's like a like a, a fight is a reaction to a situation more than it is just something you do naturally. Um, mm. We don't instinctively want to beat anybody up or hurt, or hurt ourselves. That comes out when people are drunk and people are like overly emotionally or don't know how to channel their emotions correctly. Or if they just don't even realize that they have like aggression or anger inside of them and physical body takes over because like men have a lot more testosterone than women do naturally. Mm. And I think that I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist at all, but I would think that has something to do with it by the way that our hormones react and when we get aggressive and whatnot, that we want to be able to then get our adrenaline into our muscles and start using them because like I said, we're smart monkeys. I think it's interesting because anger is such an easy, and I think it is mainly fueled by pain, right? And like some kind of emotional pain. So when you, when you channel that and you burst started that, I think it's a lot easier because you don't have to control the anger. Whereas other emotions you might have to, to control and, and be mentally aware. So maybe it's more of a, of a emotional maturity of like, which emotion can I choose to, to use as a way to, to pass through these, through these feelings of pain that I'm going through. Right. I agree with that because I think anger just consumes you in the moment. I feel like it's a fleeting feeling because anger, anger usually dissipates into like grief or like something else, like some, some, I guess, more sad or less intense emotion. But in the moment, I think it can really consume people. And because if they can't find the source of it, they just feel an overwhelming sensation of like aggression. And what happens out of that in that splash moments, like if you can't recognize that, like I had to learn to control my temper too. Like everything is learned. You see, mm -hmm. you see the men in your life, like get aggressive. I would have crazy temper tantrums in my life when I was younger. I would throw things on the floor. Like when my mom, at a certain point was afraid that I would turn into my dad for a long part of my life from like I think when I was like eight to like I want to say even like 16 sometimes like when I get angry now I still get like really really angry I just learned to control it better and I hate that part of myself but I think people don't even take the time or are taught to realize that it's okay to have anger and it's okay to do this but how you channel that anger is where you need to learn more of where people aren't really taught to do that and going back to your point with like immigrant households specifically from my experience like south asian and hearing from other east asian communities like that anger when it comes to being wrong is channeled into a physical reaction which is something that people need to learn to control and that's a hard thing to do if no one's there to teach you otherwise and i think it's interesting also just you know, with the wave of the pandemic and like our inability to be in person with people, you kind of have to use your words instead of your, of your body. So it's kind of, I think it's changed a little bit, but unfortunately for the people that are locked down in relationships, you know, domestic abuse has increased drastically because there's nowhere to go. Right. So it's kind of mm -hmm. depends on, on, on which, which side of the coin you're on. Um, you know, you're either stuck in it and, and you have to figure that out or you, or you have the freedom of that, that screen kind of as your, as your barrier or your safety net. 
Right. The scariest part about like, I guess like learned behavior is that it doesn't really manifest itself until you're faced with certain situations. Like for example, like in the case of domestic abuse, I'm sure before relationships, some of them may not never even exuded those traits, but like all of a sudden, now that you're in a stressful situation where you may have lost your job or you're stuck in the house all day and you don't really know how to control yourself, if you have any sort of like learned past behavior from your parents of how they channel their emotions, like it comes out. It's it is like ingrained in you, whether you like to believe it or not. And people who don't confront that early on are the ones who usually exert those straight later in their life. Because I think like that emotional suppression or like almost like, like lack of acknowledgement, I think is a better word. Like if people don't even acknowledge their past as wrong and just as a way of life. I don't think that conscious check has ever ticked off in their brain that this is an incorrect thing and I need to work with actively suppressing that part from coming out when I'm confronted with negative emotion. Yeah, I, I think another thing to to think about is like, if you have always acted that way from that learned behavior and anger was a way out of feeling that pain, there should be, there's also that comfort in feeling that anger. And, you know, if you want to move towards not doing that, you might feel like, oh, well, I'm losing myself because that anger could have been a positive thing for your life. You know, like for me, I was, I was always a fighter. I, I enjoyed the anger part, especially if I was fighting for, for myself or fighting for other women, I liked the anger. And then when I didn't have it, I was kind of like, oh, why aren't, why am I not angry enough anymore? I'm not sure who I am. And I think there's that, there's that self-identity part that comes in with certain emotions that you're used to. Right. Yeah. I have a question for you to follow up with that. Like, would you recognize that emotion as like anger or passion? Cause I think like passion can be a source for anger, but more often than not, people may get passionate about something because they feel hurt. So like, I'm curious to know if you, if that fighting mentality was fueled by an anger for a cause or passion for fighting for justice. You know, I think, I think it originated with, with pain, no matter what, you know, of, of just like the, the pain that I'm feeling for the injustice that I'm seeing. And I think there was anger in my inability to make enough change. So this is the outburst that I'll do. I think now it's it's a little bit different because it's more passionate. But recently I went back into my Thai classes. I've been really into self-defense and martial arts lately. And I'm not a fighter. I don't want to be a fighter, but then there's there's something that's still driving me. And every time I take any martial arts class, any trainer is always like, there's a fire in you. And I'm scared of that because I'm afraid that that fighting angry person is going to come out. And then I realized, well, maybe that fire can be fueled by, like you said, passion or love or compassion, like something else, but still have that power. So I think it's it's also just normally we are defining fighting as, you know, an aggressive sport, as, you know, coming out of a place of anger when maybe it doesn't have to be that way. But then, you know, we have to redefine everything and then see the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And I think like, like with men specifically, like when you're angry, like I think first of all, having emotional depth is a gift that 
everyone needs to acknowledge that they have. Like, to feel anger means you have the capacity to feel that spectrum of emotion that can be brought to the positive side too. And if you don't, like that's perfectly fine too. But I find that people are so hard on themselves when they get angry and it falls into like a negative feedback loop of just like, oh, I'm angry and now I'm upset with myself for being angry. And then you get you like more rage is built up from that. And overall it just snowballs into this giant, I guess like ebb and flow where it gets like bigger each time between side of like, oh, I'm gonna fight to prevent that. Oh, you reached a tipping point. I'm gonna go all the way back to the left side of pure rage. Oh, now I'm really upset. Let me go back and like retreat and think about it. And then you things build up again and you go even more angry the next time. When instead, like recognizing that you have the capacity to feel like this wide range of emotions and that you can you're okay. It's okay to be at the lower end of the spectrum sometimes. Not like but you can't always be positive. I think I read something recently where it's like if you're consistently experiencing positivity then eventually that like the dopamine in your brain will deplete and the crash you get from that will be even worse than the happiness that you felt. But it's recognizing that all these things are biochemical reactions in the brain and we have the intellect to recognize them and not be victims to them is I think a step in accepting that we can have these aggressive emotions and that's part of our animalistic nature as humans to feel them. But with that, we get the capacity to love so much more as people. Yeah, and I think that's a huge thing, like recognizing that there's more than one emotion, there's a whole spectrum of it. And how do you think, um, some might think maybe they don't know their place anymore in the world because this is how it's to be. Now, oh, well, who, what's allowed to be done? There's a lot of fear and there's this whole concept of like getting me too you know, coming from, from your perspective, trying to adjust to whatever the new version of, of today is to have a better, a uh, better outlook on the world where everyone kind of has the chance to, to stand their own ground and, and be independent in the way that they are. Yeah. I think that comes down to like the relationship people have with money in the first place. Like if you think money rules your life and dictates your life or like your worth is defined by your income, it's going to start creating different problems that you need to recognize that it's more of your, how you perceive money than I guess the actual like power dynamic in the relationship. Like if you think that having the income, it defines, I guess, your ability to be emotionally supportive for a woman in your life or if that money that you have it leads to the control that you have in the relationship. That's something else that you need to confront before even moving into a relationship. And I think that like, it's interesting because as much as people want to fight for like women having the same salary as men, there are tons of men who I know that would never want to date somebody who makes more than them. And I think that comes down to their relationship with how they see finances. Mm. And when it comes to like the me too, that's a very interesting topic that I still am kind of wrapping my head around because I've seen two perspectives of that. I've seen one where people are just like, okay, like I know that I don't do this, so it won't be a problem. And I know some that actually are more fearful of like hooking up with people when they're drunk because they don't want this to happen. They don't want like to be situational. Like, they don't want them to be a statistic. Um, 
which is so strange because mm-hmm. I'm the firm believer that you should always believe the women's side of the story. Like at least take like take it with some legitimacy before dismissing it. But it's so hard to really determine the true facts of the story when there's two sides of an argument. I'm not gonna say that there are women out there who are intentionally doing this, but there is a fear that men have that like a woman will just do this to like get like get the better of them. Because if we start moving towards a place where you just legitimize every single claim that's made, like that can really defile a man's character and the way they're perceived. Like that happened to somebody that I know in my college. And he was a good guy. Like it really, really messed with his head and messed with the way that he was perceived in like the society now. And it ended up not being true. But just the damage that that can do to somebody is really, really harmful. And I think like, like acting out of fear won't get you anywhere. It'll just cause you more suffering. I think that as long as you are in control of yourself and don't let yourself get to the point where you may be able to one, be taken advantage of, or two, like not be able to control yourself to take advantage of somebody else is a personal responsibility that you have to face yourself in society and in this world. And if you do get too drunk and you can't remember anything, like that is part, or not even just drunk, any sort of intoxication, that is a personal responsibility and a personal choice that you have to face the repercussions of it, regardless of what the situation is. So my, my thing is just like, don't let yourself get to that point, like be in your head, be in control. Yeah. And I, and I think that's easier said than done. And I think like, I mean, mm-hmm. I come from bar culture and I always see first dates and the, once you hit like past five drinks, it doesn't matter. They could be arguing the entire night and they still go home together. Right. And it, it's ridiculous. Nine times out of 10 that happens. Whereas if it's under five drinks, they, they still have some sense to, to decide the part ways when it's like clearly not working out. So, um, you know, alcohol can do that. It can give you the, you know, rose colored sunglasses to, to go through because everyone wants that intimacy. But mm-hmm. when you're, when you're forcing it to happen and, and you're using that liquid courage to make that happen, you know, it's, it's very different. And I think there's this other thing that I saw recently about how straight guys don't like it when women are gladly consenting because that takes away Mm -hmm. the whole point of pursuing the woman and coercing her and convincing her that he is the one for her. So that that's that learned behavior of like, you know, going through the chase and then going through all the motions. But if she's just happily obliging, it's like, Oh wait, you just took away that whole effort. So now it's not worth it for me anymore. And then they go back to that chase and go find someone where they can exercise that dominance and that aggression. And just like we were talking about earlier, of that behavior as, you know, this defines me, I'm a man, because I'm, I'm, I'm showing that dominance and that aggression. Yeah, and I think that goes to the male insecurity. Um, I think if, it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a victim of that too. Like when women chase me, I, I, find, I get very uncomfortable because it's almost just like, whoa, like, what do you see in me that's good enough for you to chase me? You know what I mean? Like, I think that it's going to do with it. It's like, oh, like I can pursue you because I know who I am. I'm a fly human being and you are this like perfect thing that I'm going to chase and get after. Whereas when a woman starts to chase you, it's just like, you immediately think like, oh, what's wrong with them? Like, why are they, like, why are they going after me? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's not how it's supposed to be. Like, and they become uncomfortable because I guess the reality of the relationship becomes so much quicker. Like, I think that 
like I think when a woman makes up their mind and they're ready to commit, it's intimidating for a man who's who has fleeting emotions, who may not have a, a strong sense of self. And it's interesting because I don't, I know, so I've seen some relationships where the woman has pursued the man and it has turned out amazingly. And I think I've seen some relationships where they never even became a relationship because the man never wanted to acknowledge that like the pursuit wasn't anything more than just a sex exchange because they don't want to emotionally connect to them. So it's weird. It's really weird. And I don't know the root cause of it. I think I can speculate on it. I think it dip- differentiates in each situation. But I think in most power dynamics, that there always has to be like a submissive and a dominant figure. And if the man isn't comfortable playing this submissive role, then that's always going to lead to some sort of problem down the line. And it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. Like submissive should not be seen as a bad thing. I think if anything, like submission means respect that the other person wants authority and you're letting them do it more than it is like, oh, I'm just going to like go down to every single thing that you say. Because people like, I think we can, like people are like simp. Like if a guy is submissive, they're a simp. Mm-hmm. I think that word, that word is so harmful. <laughs> like yeah. what's wrong with trying to please your partner? What's wrong with trying to chase them? And I feel like it's a word used. I, I think that's a word that's the product of toxic masculinity as well. It's like, oh, like if you start changing the way you behave because of a woman, you're a simp. And I think that's such a such a derogatory term for both sides. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's crazy. And and I think like I think you're right. It's it's all insecurity and fear of of change you know, because if, if some guys have to agree to, to some form of equity or change with, um, how they treat women and how they interact with women, there's, there's a level that they have to remove some sense of power and getting anyone to, to give away their power is, is always going to be a fight, right? Cause no one wants to give away power. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like almost like, who am I? if I don't have this source of strength, like who am I if I'm not the breadwinner? Like, what is my role? Like all these existential questions come out of like a loss of power when it's not coming from intrinsic factors. And I think people just need to face that more and get used to that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of being human. Like I'm blessed that like depth comes naturally to me because I ask myself these questions all the time. But I realize that a lot of people don't. Like they don't even realize the questions that they have to ask themselves. Most people aren't taught mm-hmm. to question these power dynamics or the structures of society that make them perform. And I think perform is the right word, perform in a role that they don't even know that they're aligned with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think it's crazy. I've, I've always been talking about power dynamics and and gender issues and and realizing that it goes all the way down to like, you know, when I talk about toxic masculinity, eventually we go to mental health and, and realizing that the root of that is, is those suppressed emotions. And, and we need to uncover those before we can, can get to everything else. That's kind of like surface level and no one wants to go there or no one even knows how to like begin that conversation because there's been no practice on one to even have the conversation or to learn how to verbalize your own emotions in plain English and then also mm-hmm. to have someone receiving that and, and how do they communicate back 
like there's there's nothing taught there yet so it's always just been like everyone blundering around like oh okay let me try to to explain myself or express myself and and that i think that has has brought a lot of anxiety because it's like well everyone's attempting to be vulnerable but you know you're not getting the the right support or you don't feel good after you've you've said it because you didn't really say it exactly to how you thought of it in your head and then whoever's reacting to it is nothing close to what you wanted them to react at. Right. And that's the root of mansplaining too. It's like if a woman mm. says something <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I need to start saying two times more stuff because I need to make sure you know that I know what you said. Yeah. And I can say it better than you. Yeah. You know what has been crazy? Like I've, I've been doing a lot of like just gender linguistics research. And anytime I get into the conversation of consent, you know, we talk about, we kind of touched on the Me Too situation on like the fear of being wrongfully accused for something and also the basis of the he said she said there's no way that there's there's any merit to anything and you know the the issue of just blindly believing in anyone's story and I think what we want to move forward towards is like why does it matter who you believe or if you believe this person what matters is just that the truth comes out and that hasn't happened yet so before we just jump into believing anyone or thinking that other people are believing what other people are saying, we don't even have the information yet. Like we didn't even allow this woman to speak yet. And we're already making judgments on whether or not we should believe her. Yeah. And I think what's worse about that is that like, it all comes down to who the man is too. Like if the man's a celebrity who's revered and whatnot, like, yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm not celebrity probably, but usually athletes. Like if athletes are charged with me too stuff, I've seen them just being dismissed so much simpler than like like a movie star or mm. someone with questionable character. It's more like, oh, okay, that's normal. Okay, I guess they can like set up for a game. But if they're an actor and their life is to be like on camera all the time and represent brands and whatnot, like they'll just get cut off completely. And some being right, some being wrong. It's honestly disgusts me, <laughs> like for lack of a better word and how situational like Me Too claims are taken and brought into mainstream media. Yeah, I think it's it's scary because they're, I know from, you know, some survivors ends that they want to come forward because it helps justify that like, oh, this is a pattern for this person. And I was just one of, one of the people in that pattern. And it kind of um, detaches them from, from feeling the shame of, like, oh, I got myself into this. No, I was I didn't get myself into this. I was a target, right? It's a different way to tell that story. But I think what we also haven't figured out yet is, you know, the the layers of non-consensual sex. Because if you talk about like almost every first date or many date scenarios is or used to be at a bar where you were drinking. And just from having enough alcohol you can't you can't say that anyone is having consensual sex because no one's in the right mind at the scent at that point. And it made me realize from that dynamic, like I've had more non-consensual sex than consensual sex. Not that it's good or bad. I just don't remember. So I can't actually say confidently that everything that happened I remember or deliberately was okay with. But not to say that I, I'm going to like draft up a contract after the fact and be like, oh, all these things just that like you kind of accept those consequences 
for, for those actions. So there's, there's that layer of like accountability for, you know, this is what it is. And, you know, are you, are you in a place where you can say like you're safely with this partner and you can have non-consensual sex knowing that this person will not take it to another level that, that then grace aligns a lot. It's hard to like, cause it's like almost like I got instinctively, I want to say like, Oh, you shouldn't go to somebody's house if you think it's not going to happen because that's how men are. But mm-hmm. the higher being in me recognizes that like men should also just not assume that if you're bringing a woman to your house, that they're consenting to having sex. But it's just a, a really difficult situation to, to, I guess, navigate, especially when every man and every woman has different views on like what is consent or like what they're, I guess, like committing to when they go with somebody somewhere. But I just think that like if you're going to go to somebody's house, like your vigilance needs to be there. Like you don't know if you like if you think about under first date scenario, like you don't know this person. Like, you only know them based off of like maybe a few conversations, like the night you had at the bar. Like, do, do you really think it's the right decision to go somewhere with somebody who you're not interested in having sex with in the first place? I think that's just putting yourself in an unsafe scenario because they're a stranger more than it is like anything else. But at the same time, like I said, like the men should not have to just assume that if a woman wants to spend the night with you, that, that and you, especially if you're the one advocating for them to get drunk, like that is almost premeditated rape, in my opinion. And I know guys who do that and it's disgusting. But I think there's also that aspect of just like safety. Like uh, a woman might go home with a man because maybe she doesn't have a way home, you know, or she thinks she, if she said no, that he would be more aggressive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's that difficulty of, of, of saying no. So it's like, okay, well, I already got myself into this. I might as well just like continue going all the way. And that's slightly safer than saying no. And then him not liking me saying no. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, being more aware of that, of the conscious decision that he's now actually raping versus he's like unsure if you're into it or not and there's still that level of play that's mm-hmm. really fucked up but like you know like some woman would rather choose that where it's like okay i'll play along with this so he's not sure if i like him or don't like him versus like i definitely don't like him and i don't want to be here and now i'm being held captive and he knows this and has that control over me yeah that's an interesting perspective i really didn't think about it in that way but yeah i'm not gonna say but i don't want to negate what you said in addition to that, though, yeah, you're going to a place with the stranger. Like you don't know this person. And I think if you're more interested in like the, if you're more interested in the like, him liking you, that shouldn't be a compromise to your happiness. So I, I, I take it. I take this in a very like um like detached way. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but like think about it situationally, like. Actually, you know, I, I see what you're saying, because when if women are trying to pursue a man and they think that and they're under the impression that like, like sexual relations is a way to get a man's heart, then I could see that becoming then becoming like a victim of situations where they might not necessarily consent to. But then that also goes to how women perceive their dynamic in a relationship and their role. And if they see themselves as objects, not objects, but like if they see themselves as oh like a man's not gonna like me unless I have sex with them like Mm. 
that is a different root cause problem that needs to be addressed in society because I think there's a, there's a lot of men out there who are way more complex than that who don't think that like that is the way especially going back to what you're saying before where like the, like the men want to chase so the easier you make it like like the more like the less likely they are to then pursue it further yeah and I, and I think that uh, there's something there's something off with um, women empowerment movements, especially in popular media of what what pussy power is supposed to be or like, you know, being sex positive or, you know, expressing yourself sexually as a woman, because if you do that and and you're, you know, happily consenting to things and you and you want to pursue and have casual sex and do things like what men casually can do it doesn't it's not allowed in the same same way mm -hmm. so yeah i don't i don't know what the answers are because yeah like at the same time it's like okay if i want to be enthusiastic uh and, and pursue things on my own you know then then there's these new labels and then if you're if you're doing it out of fear or approval and thinking that that's what men want from you then that's a different layer of, of issues right so it doesn't matter from which side you're coming from and any kind of open sexuality amongst women uh, brings in those brings in that confusion yeah honestly i think when it comes to gender dynamics i think the large part of the issue is the overgeneralization of either side and their role i think like mm. recognizing that like every man every woman has, has a complex being with their own needs and own like own sets of experiences is harder for people to accept because they want to generalize like oh men are a certain way women are a certain way because it's easier to perceive in that way it's easier to put people through a lens like oh this is how men behave this is how men will be this is how women behave this is how women will be and if they do anything that contradicts the way that you view them then that's where like these situ they become situational but i think so many situational things are actually majority where at least in a, no, i can't say that from fact because i don't know that but, but fact but like when they're in front of one one shoe fits all solution to either side i don't think there is one it really comes down to like breaking down gender roles in general and realizing that like everybody has sexual needs, everyone has sexual desires, and we're we need to find a become a place in society where we're no longer like constricting either side to have to behave a certain way based off of the chromosomes that they were born with. Like they're mm -hmm. just like that's just how life is, and people will figure it out. But to keep order and structure in society, the gender roles exist to always. I guess like cast people to either side of the situation. Yeah, I think yeah, I think obviously the 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 best way to change is is to have some kind of blended approach. But then when you do that, there, you know, society struggles because they they need those those strict walls up and then categories for everyone to box themselves in. Otherwise, we kind of run too free, right? Yeah. Yeah, like that, that we're looking for a blended approach, but there's no way to do that because we kind of need that structure in society so that everyone can know where their place is. And I think we're also just so used to receiving that direction. And if we had that um, access to actually make our own decisions and decide for ourselves, I don't, I don't know if everyone's up for that challenge because then you'd have to really take accountability for all of your actions rather than just you know letting other people decide for you and then you just agreeing or disagreeing yeah and not to go too deep into this but i think that 
has to do with part of why people are uncomfortable with the whole pronoun concept or the fact that people can identify with different pronouns or a non-binary pronoun or even like the discomfort with transgender people because that challenges the societal norm that we're all meant to be like what we're born into like being in, in terms of like what we define as gender so it's just a really interesting like that's what got me thinking about this and like I guess how gender roles play in society and like what necessary need for them is and I think it's just structure and power and I hope that we can move towards a place where we stop expecting things from people just based off of their gender or assume things about them because people are complex like I said before but their own sense of experiences that really shape them more than I think just being a man or woman I think it's more about what's imposed on them for being a man or being a woman that shapes them and really affects them as they grow up Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to wrap up with two questions for you. Um, what small change have you done differently this year that's made a big impact for you? Yeah. So I kicked off my, my website this year where I'm basically just helping people realize that they can really come down to who they are when they start understanding the mind-body-soul connection. And it's been really fun diving into that. And I'm also working on writing a book to help the young professionals kind of realize that what we're taught is not who we are and we're not victims of circumstances. Like we have the power to control that. And I'm hoping to release that sometime in the next two years, but that whole process has been very educational for me. Kind of led me on this clubhouse path where we met and it's been fun so far. It's just the beginning and I'm excited for where it takes me. Yeah, that's so cool. The way way I think of it is just like, this is like real world, like breaking out of the matrix, you know? Mm-hmm. of like what the that concept was. Um, and my, my last question to you is, out of all the topics that we spoke about, is there anything that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? Yeah, I would love to hear like other male perspectives on how they view like the Me Too concept and if they have fear or how they approach it in their daily lives. Because for me personally, I don't think about it much because I I know who I am and I will never put myself in a situation like that. But I don't know if most people think like that or how they've experienced it in the past. So we'd love to know if someone could elaborate on that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I will definitely do that. I love that conversation. So I'm I'm glad that uh, that you find it interesting. And the more perspectives, the better, right? Because it's just something that you don't you wouldn't think, right? And uh, everyone thinks super differently based on their experiences so it's always really interesting to hear right exactly i really enjoyed this conversation and how different it was to the man in season one i think it's very important to realize that what we have been taught is not who we are and there are a lot of learned behaviors that we have to slowly unlearn and change make sure to subscribe and if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective slide into my dms at miss amanda chin on instagram and i'll see you next wednesday with more episodes of the hundred masked men